Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Lynn Lazaro and I'm your host for today's podcast. I'm so excited to be back and hosting another episode for you all. This week on the podcast, we met with Nancy Maldonado, the Vice President of Education at PBS Reno. We got to learn about all the cool programs that they put together for students K-12. through They have some amazing robotics and STEM activities, social-emotional learning programs, and an awesome writing contest that gets kids published. We also talked about what it takes to run these programs and a little bit about their broadcasting channels. Before we get to the episode, though, I just wanted to remind everyone that you can support the podcast through our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash renoites. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics or any kind of feedback, you can email Connor at any time at Connor at Renoites.com. That's C-O-N-O-R at Renoites.com. Or shoot us a message on Instagram. And now this week's guest, Nancy Maldonado. Nancy Maldonado, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you and learn more about your position here as a VP of Education Programming at PBS Reno. So to start, can you tell me a little bit about your career and how you got here? Thanks, Lynn, for having me. I'm real excited to be on this podcast. My career in education has been back from, I graduated from UNR in 1984 and started working right out of college in the Washoe County school system. And I've taught mostly elementary grades, second, third, fourth grades, and summer school, and and then went into administration. I was a dean of students at several elementary schools, and then I was a principal at three different schools. And I took an early retirement in 2009, and enjoyed retirement and then decided I wanted to go back to work and was so, so lucky to land the job here at PBS Reno in the education department. I love it. That's awesome. So what made you like want to come back out of retirement? Oh, that was kind of a family decision mostly. I do enjoy working with kids and, and education, teachers, all of that is very familiar to me and very enriching, but also it was a family decision to continue working, and here I am. I did take a, an early retirement, so that's probably fed into that. Tell me a little bit about your job here at PBS Reno. Like, What do you do? How is it different from what you were doing before, and like, how do you like it? I love it. Before, as an elementary principal, the largest school I was at was Double Diamond Elementary, and at that time we had over 800 students, and I had over 80 staff members certified and classified. It was a very busy job. We were on a multi-track calendar, and so it was all-consuming, but I enjoyed it. But it also, once I retired, life slowed down quite a bit. And um, here, what's fun is we're busy. There's just four of us in our department running a program that reaches almost 72,000 students. It's really fun because I know what we're doing is, is enriching to the schools and to the teachers and the students. So you only have four people here that you're working with, and you're working with so many students, you're reaching so many students. How does that work? Like, how do you, how do you like get into contact with all the schools and like collaborate with them to get your programs out there? That's a great question. So our, our program, our main program is called Curiosity Classroom, and we do uh, workshops. They're STEM literacy-based workshops in preschool through fourth grade classrooms. 
And we are in all types of schools, not just public schools. We're in private schools. We're in charter schools. We're in parochial schools. Even homeschool groups, if they come together like a co-op, we can do our workshops for them as well. All of our workshops are based on standards that are required by our state in Nevada, Department of Education, for teachers to be teaching. We get in touch with teachers at the schools when we have a facilitator available to go into that school. And the facilitator will reach out either directly with a teacher that they know or they'll go through the main office and talk to the principal. And once we're able to distribute our menus, the teachers can select which workshops they want and they individually schedule them with that facilitator so it matches the facilitator's calendar also. And then they're set for the school year. Who are like the facilitators? We were talking a little about this earlier. <laughs> That's a good question because I was, as I was just saying that, I thought maybe you should know who they are. We hire mostly retired school teachers. So teachers that are out of the classroom and maybe they still substitute teach, but they might like to also teach our workshops as well. They have classroom management. They have the love of teaching. We do pay them for their workshops, and we offer the scheduling is really up to them. So if they only want to work a couple days a week and they want to golf or go to book club or um, play pickleball, <laughs> they can do that and schedule the workshops around. And as long as they work with the classroom teachers, we're fine with that. And it seems to be a real win-win situation. Some of our facilitators actually work to... Um, plan a, a trip out of the country. They save up their money from the workshops and, and then they travel. And so they might be gone for, you know, a few weeks at a time. And that still works out with our scheduling. Awesome. So can you tell me a little bit more about the programs that you guys do? I know you have a lot going on. So I mentioned the Curiosity Classroom. That's our biggest one. Our workshops are, as I mentioned before, STEM literacy-based. In fourth grade, we might be teaching potential and kinetic energy using a spool racer, which is something that the kids build during the workshop. Or we teach robotics, which is fun. And, and we have preschool and first graders actually coding and programming a robot. And they each get a robot hands-on to work with. But all of our Curiosity Classroom workshops follow the same format. We see a short video clip, most likely out of a PBS kids programming or Nova or something of that, whatever it pertains to the subject matter. We'll read a book out loud that also pertains to the, a children's book that pertains to the subject matter. And then we do a fun hands-on activity. And we usually at the end of the workshops have a writing prompt that the kids can wrap up the instructions with answering a writing response that the teacher can follow up with or they can take it home and share it with their parents. That's our biggest educational outreach. We also have Reading Buddies programs. We do have two of them. One's a 10-week program. It's called Martha Speaks. Martha is a PBS character. She's a dog that when she eats alphabet soup, instead of it going to her tummy, it goes to her head and she can talk. And so with this Martha Speaks program, as I said, it's a 10-week program. So you have an older student from the school paired up with a younger student, and they read together once a week and see a short video clip of Martha. They learn four new vocabulary words, and then they'll do a fun activity together and write in their buddy journals. 
Our other Reading Buddies program is based on the program Arthur, which is also a PBS Reno program, and it's social-emotional learning. It's just a five-week program. It follows the same format as Martha. It's got the view, read, do activities. With the social-emotional learning, they're working on skills like empathy, generosity, mindfulness, and which is really a wonderful way for an older student and a younger student to make that bonding relationship. So for 15 weeks, a teacher could have these programs in their classroom when they partner with another classroom, and that's a big chunk of the school year. And like PBS programming, everything we offer educational in our educational outreach is free to the users. And then on top of Curiosity Classroom, the Reading Buddies, we also have an annual writer's contest. You may remember it from Reading Rainbow years ago with LeVar Burton. Um, That's where it had its start. And then PBS National kept it going for many years. Now it's up to individual stations like ours to keep it going. We've been doing it for so many years. It's a popular program. We have many students that repeat year after year to be a part of that. We start it in January when kids are back from winter break. We're already handing out a lot of teacher packets to classrooms for them to have all the materials they need to participate. And all we ask is that our entries get turned back to us before they go out on spring break. And then we start our judging process, and it's a great contest. And we pick a first, second place winner from each grade level, kinder through third grade. And those kids will get on air. They'll be filmed in our studio. They also get a hardbound book of their story. We're going to be doing this year a celebration at the end of the contest at Reno Public Market. Awesome. That sounds like a really cool program. Mm-hmm. We actually did a podcast recently with the Reno Public Market. Oh, so awesome. it's really cool to see like how they're getting involved with PBS Reno and like all these other um, places in town. Yeah, we're so excited. We were all invited to be a part of the grand opening, and it really is an exciting place. Yeah, it's beautiful in there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the STEM literacy or STEM-based programs, and I know like STEM is super important, and it's getting more integrated into schools. And I know in Nevada we are actually having like schools based on STEM, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. their whole programming is like everything that they do is related to STEM, right? Um, how are you guys like adapting to that need and how important do you think STEM is now for kids in school like so young right you think it's too advanced for them but now they're learning it earlier and earlier isn't that the truth um STEM is one of those terms that you see thrown around a lot when you break it down science technology engineering mathematics we have been teaching that for years but now you're right there's a huge focus on that our workshops the curiosity classroom workshops that we do are a great way for us to support teachers in their instruction. What we do is not anything the classroom teacher couldn't do on their own, but we bring in all the supplies. So many of the things we do, we do financial literacy, we do robotics, like I mentioned, we do just typical science, like forces and motion, um, potential kinetic energy. Those are skills that have been taught for many, many years in elementary school, but they usually require outside materials. And so that's where we come in and we bring all the materials. So the classroom teacher isn't responsible for gathering those, using their own pocket money many times to to do that. Everything we do, we bring in the materials. 
Um, and I say it's literacy-based because we always include a writing component, talk about vocabulary, we do the reading together. There's a lot of components that go into good instruction that we incorporate in there. So when we say STEM literacy-based, we're using all of those skills incorporated into a workshop that's less than an hour. Awesome. And I think that's really interesting because as people like try and focus on certain parts of education, they tend to ignore certain things, right? Like as we focus on STEM, we tend to ignore like writing or art and stuff like that. And it's really Mm -hmm. cool how you guys are like incorporating it all. So it's a well-rounded program. Yeah. And that's what we like. We want kids to enjoy learning. And we find that the more modalities that you hit in your lesson, the more interesting it is. And so that we do incorporate art. We do incorporate the hands-on projects, the challenges. It's, it really is a fun program. And I know you mentioned social-emotional literacy um, in some of your like reading programs. And I, that's super different from STEM and something that people tend to not really think about. Which is like super important, Mm -hmm. especially after COVID, right? Mm Because all these kids went like a year, almost two years, not interacting with anyone. So they like kind of forgot how to interact with people. I forgot how to (laughs) interact with people. Um, Can you talk about like the importance of learning that and teaching that to children? That actually has been very important for many years, even prior to COVID. The school systems have been picking up positive behavioral systems that they've put in place to help. And I know every um, school district's different, and even individual schools have different programs that they put in place. But the the social-emotional learning that we're doing, we did base it off of what we know from our school experience and that empathy, generosity, um, honesty are skills that we all have grown up with. And when we focus on those, remember we're doing this at an elementary level. We are we're watching a video clip. We're we're reading a book about you know each of these topics, and they're fun books. They're children's literature, and then doing a fun hands-on activity. My favorite one probably is generosity because I love the lesson, and we we read the book out loud. That's called "How Full Is Your Bucket." It's a metaphor for how how enriched do you feel and your bucket gets emptied or drained of the water every time you know you you're negatively spoken to or or you lose something or your somebody ridicules you or you know is your bucket getting replaced and how do you replace that that water in your bucket and then the fun hands-on activity is a generosity catcher. Well, when I was young, we called them cootie catchers. Did you ever make those fun paper little hand things? And and it, and when you pick your number and the color and then you open it up and inside it has a little message. Well, in there, the, the students actually write things they can do that are that would be generous. And um, it's, it's a really a fun activity, and then they can take it home and share it with mom and dad and the family. It's just a, an entertaining way to drive home a skill that we all should have. Maybe I could mention our reach um, for our programs. You might be thinking we're just here in Washoe County. We actually are in almost all of the 66 Washoe County elementary schools. We're currently in uh, 63 of them. Um, but we are in six other counties right now. We're in Elko County, Humboldt County, 
Lyon County, Douglas, and Carson City. And the seventh one, we just started in White Pine County this year. Our workshops are virtual right now. We have all the materials delivered already to Ely in all of the schools in the surrounding communities in Baker, McGill, Lund. But our facilitator for White Pine County is doing them virtual until we can find a facilitator there, a retired teacher that could actually teach the workshops in person for us. How has that grown throughout your time here at PBS Reno? I've been here about five and a half years, and the program obviously was going before I joined. We've grown tremendously. Uh, When I started, we had about 10 facilitators, and now we have um, 43 across the seven school districts. We were only in three school districts when I started, and we've been adding them on almost every year. The more people hear about our program, the more popular it is, and we're excited about that. We think we have a really good product, and we have a great delivery model and consistency with our delivery. It's kind of exciting to see it grow the way it is. I think our ultimate goal, I say I think, I know it is, to be in our complete viewing area. PBS Reno has a large viewing area. We're in... um, Two-thirds of the state of Nevada was our broadcast um, signal, and PBS Vegas would be in the southern part of the state. They have two main counties down there, and PBS Reno has the rest. So we have a few more counties to go, but we're hoping to, to get our distribution that wide. So you mentioned Martha Speaks earlier, and I know like a lot of the programs that you have right now like interact with like the PBS programming like on TV. How does that work and like how often does that happen? Okay, so that's a really good question. I like it, Lynn, because it does it does show how do we we merge that trusted, respected educational research based content that PBS is known for and how do we use that in our educational outreach? What we do, all of our all of our outreach follows, I think I mentioned before, a view read do learning triangle. The view part is that's where we link with our PBS programming, so national programming. So it would be like out of the children's programming, it would be like the Wildcrats or Arthur or like I mentioned, Martha Speaks for the Reading Buddies programs. We'll take all of that on-air programming, and we actually can get little sound bites or short three- to five-minute videos. And we don't actually do that part ourselves. PBS offers a wonderful resource that's available to anybody who goes on pbs.org. pbsreno.org also has this link to PBS Learning Media. The Learning Media, you can search it's a great tool if you're looking for something on honesty or, or generosity, like I mentioned. You will find a video clip, or maybe more than one, most likely, that matches what you're looking for, and you can tailor it to the age group that you're targeting. And that's where we do most of it. And it's not just children's programming that that is. High school teachers could be going on PBS Learning Media and finding lessons on um, the Civil War or financial 
financial literacy kind of things, or chemistry, or English literacy. There's so many different things. There's thousands of them available. And we've even written some of our own that are up on PBS Learning Media that go with our program, Wild Nevada. So for Nevada history, for fourth grade and seventh graders, any teacher can go on and they'll find some really wonderful local, locally written lesson plans and resources for teaching about Nevada history. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really cool tool. It's something that I wish was easier to share with people. I was wondering, how much of the programming do you guys do yourselves or like do you get most of it from like National PBS? Here at the station, we film two local programs. We do Wild Nevada and we do Artifacts. And they're both just outstanding programs. And our producers and our uh, videographers have been nationally awarded and recognized for their work. There are stations around our country who share our programming, which is so cool. You wonder, well, who else would want to see Wild Nevada but people who live in Nevada? Well, we're in over 100 different stations across the nation, which is so interesting. I love it that people want to know. What is wild about Nevada? What are some cool things Chris and Dave share? Chris Orr and Dave Santina are our hosts, and they take trips around Nevada, of course, with a video team, and they film different areas, and they'll talk to locals, and they'll talk to um, Department of Wildlife people or uh, people that are experts in those areas on those trails or in the national parks, and they really feature what Nevada has. What are the treasures that are hidden in, in all of our, even our remote areas? The highest points on peaks to caves that are in the ground to um, petroglyphs and dry seabeds and the wildlife and the, the plant life. It, it's very, it's a really enriching show. It, it's fun. Artifacts is another really cool show because they feature different artists from our area. And so you might see people that make their own paper or they are doing sculpting, they're doing ceramics, they're doing murals on the walls, and you learn all about the artist and how they got into it and what their creations are like. It's it's really, some of it is as little as beadwork or um, like Native American beadwork, or it could be dressmaking. It's, it is so fascinating to see how creative our community is and the artists that are, that are here. One of the programs that we're really proud of that's new is called STEM Works. They're short video clips that we're hoping will help with workforce development and bridging that gap for uh, middle high school kids who are trying to think of where what are they going to be doing in the future? There's such a wide variation of ways people get into their careers as they grow up. And do I have to go to a four-year school? Or could I go through some kind of training? Or maybe I want to join the military. And then through the military, I get I land a career somewhere. Our videos are, we feature Northern Nevada industries that allow us to come in and interview people at work in their jobs. And we've done really well-known companies like Tesla and Google, and some that maybe you hadn't heard of, like Breadware or Ormat, Wood Rogers. And all of these companies have these STEM careers that might not be so out of our reach and might not need 
always a four-year degree to get into or specialized training. There's a multitude of jobs that we've found in the medical industry that are quite interesting that are here in northern Nevada. Some companies are international, and they offer all sorts of opportunities. Sierra Nevada Corporation, for instance, they've had equipment that was designed locally go up to the moon into space. They work with NASA. It's so interesting that I I think um, young people in our community aren't always exposed to what's here, and it's right around the corner. And so we're hoping through these short 7 to 12 minute long videos that we might engage with some students that might have never thought of themselves in a career, and all of a sudden they're like, that looks like something I might like to do. And then maybe they pursue it. The STEM Works videos, it really is a whole station project. It's something that kind of grew out of just around after COVID and through this project, it's really grown. Um, we have industries that really that are so eager to be featured. And we have a full-time videographer now going out and interviewing people and taking the video clips and, and putting these together. And my job is to help get them into the schools. And we have these great um, STEMworks notebooks. They're just um, graph paper notebooks, but we want to be able to hand those out so kids can actually use the QR code on the front and scan it with their phone and just be right on the website to see the videos. Awesome. And you mentioned like a lot of different companies, especially like a lot of them here in Nevada, like Breadware, um, Wood Rogers, and like I've never heard of those places Mm -hmm. before, right? And then you also have places like Google, I've seen the videos, and I think, like, the most engaging part of, like, the Google one was when you see them riding their scooter <laughs> through the server room. No kidding, right? Which is, like, super fun. <laughs> um, how do you, like, get into contact with them, and, like, how do you know, like, who they are and where they are? We have a wonderful woman working here. Diane Barrett is our community partnership director, and she is the one that actually does the outreach and connects with these people. We all sat down and brainstormed lots of questions that we have about all businesses. Diane will go in with our videographer and they, you know, tailor the interview much like this, where they sit down and they talk to people and they ask all sorts of questions. And one question leads to another, leads to another. And then we get some great footage. We put that together. And when you see the the actual STEMWorks video, you'll see our host, Hana. She's actually a UNR student. She's has a young presentation, and she's fun. And, and we hope that that kind of takes the seriousness away from it. If you had, you know, somebody of my generation, it might not relate so well to, to the younger set. They want to know from somebody who's right around their age group who can can relate to them in a better format. So we think they're fun and they're interesting. And the companies themselves are really engaged with them and sharing them among their people too. So it's giving a lot of exposure to Northern Nevada industry. It's exposure for Northern Nevada students of all, actually of all ages. And we have some some adults who are going back and looking at new careers and who are also watching our videos. So it really is interesting for all ages. Can you tell me a little bit more about the different like PBS channels that you have, like all the different programming that you have? We have three channels on air. 
Um, we have our main station, our main channel, and that's the uh, Channel 5 on broadcasting you'll see. And, and we do kids and adult programming. We have the News Hour that's very popular. We do uh, Masterpiece Theater, also very popular. That's our main channel. And we have a, a second channel, Create. PBS Create is do-it-yourself projects. It's for health, for art, cooking. You'll see all different creative kind of do-it-yourself things on there. You might remember this old house. There's so many fun things on there now, and it's changed quite a bit, the programming, but but it is, it's, it's our most popular, to be honest. And then we have children's programming, 24 hours a day, seven days a week on our, t- our PBS Kids channel. And uh, that also is very popular. And so um, it's nice that we have all of this to offer our community. When we're talking about reading buddies, you talk about how like younger kids will work with older kids and there's like this. um, It's like a relationship. Yeah, this relationship that they Mm -hmm. build together. And like, Mm -hmm. how important is that? And like, how does it affect kids and their ability to interact with each other? I found it uh, as a a teacher, I did reading buddies for several years. As a fourth grade teacher, we partnered up with a kindergarten class once a week, and we'd go and we'd read together, and the bonding that happens between the students is really important. Some kids don't have older brothers and sisters or younger brothers and sisters, and so you know in your own family, if you did, the relationships that you build in the school setting Having an older student model how to read is so wonderful for the younger student. You might have an older student that might not be a strong reader, but all of a sudden they're really good at it when they're reading to somebody so young. And so it helps with their self-esteem. It helps with the younger student's self-esteem. And then think about the relationship when they meet week after week and this friendship forms and they see each other out on the playground or in the bus line or at lunch in the cafeteria. It really is a, a, a strong relationship. And I think more and more we need those strong relationships and we need the bonds where kids can rely and trust each other. I, I think that's really important. And it's an easy teaching tool that teachers can put together, especially when they use our materials, because we just provide everything they need. It doesn't have to be a a struggle to put together every week. And we recently did like an episode with the Washoe County Library System. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about how important reading is? Reading is super important. There's lots of research that will tell you how important it is to start kids out by just reading to them so they can build that language that they hear um, just listening to stories when mom or dad is, you know, tucking them in at night. Reading the story out loud is so important. But then also that language that happens when families talk and they eat a meal together and they share that language. But uh, being able to read a book and read proficiently is so important for kids' success in school. And they really say by grade three, you need to be at grade level to be successful in your future career. I've been involved with many of our nonprofit groups in the Reno Sparks area that are working to help promote that reading. And during our workshops, we hand out books. Even at the preschool level, we'll hand out a, a new, brand new book for them to take home every single time we meet with their class so that we start building those home libraries of books immediately. 
And then as we move up, we'll hand out books at the end of a Reading Buddies program. When we celebrate with the kids, we'll hand out a book when we come in for our Curiosity Classroom workshops. It's important to have those books available so that kids can pick it up and if they're struggling in school, but they see this print over and over, they will they will learn. And if parents have books available, they'll be able to share them more more frequently. So we really are targeting a lot of kids. And that is the the goal for many nonprofit organizations in our areas is getting books in the hands of kids. The more they read, the more successful they will be. For the writing challenge, like, can you tell me a little bit more about like the timeline and like what it's like? Any like stories that you like remember fondly? Because I know it's been going on for a few years now, right? Oh, several years. Yes, I mentioned before it's been going on since Reading Rainbow years with Lavar Burton. The way we do the writing contest, we have oh, over two thousand students participating. Uh, we make sure this is we we find that all writing is important. So we make sure every story we receive is returned to its writer at the end of the contest. We want them to have their writing back, and we let them know PBS Reno thinks you're a wonderful writer because we do, and we want to encourage that. We do only select twelve winners. There's a first, second place winner from each grade level, but out of those winners. It could be anybody who wins. What we look for is the voice. We want to hear what kids are thinking. We want to hear their creativity. We're not really worried about punctuation and spelling. At such a young age, we want to just encourage their voice. And what can you write about? And this year's topic, adventure, I think is a fun topic. We're going to get some real creativity coming in. And you asked me, what are my favorite stories? It's so hard. It's so hard to tell you my favorites. I like so many of them. That's why I rely on a lot of people to help us through the judging process. Because it's not just what speaks to me, but it might be what speaks to you when you read them. Um, and that that is what we want, is to encourage that um, voice to come out and, and be entertaining. Every winner gets a hardbound copy. They are um, an authentic published writer. They get a hardbound copy of their own story, and the parents can purchase more copies for the family. It, it really is a special treat. So they, the kids get not only to be on air on TV, they are featured on our website with their stories, and they see their, this hardbound book that they get to keep, and there's a poster that's going to be in the Reno public market of their story for the summer months this year, which is exciting. Awesome. Are there any other places where the posters might be seen? We also, I'm glad you mentioned that because, Lynn, we also have them hanging in the halls down at the Department of Education. Um, and we have some in the boardroom at Washoe County School District office. That's awesome. So everyone gets to see it, mm -hmm. right? If you ever want to watch a boardroom meeting for the education <laughs> Look department. for our posters. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I kind of want to ask, like, you mention really wanting to encourage kids like even because you only have like 12 winners but you really want to encourage kids to like like you did a good job you're a good writer how important is that for like children to be I want to say like encouraged right when they're younger I think um I mean this is personal my opinion I think when you ask me about how important is it to read 
It's also important to be able to write and convey your thoughts, whether it's for fiction or nonfiction. Being able to express your thoughts and have a voice is so important. And it's never too early to start that. We might have people say, wow, kindergartners participate in a writing contest? How do you do that? They're just learning to write. They're just learning to spell. But they also have a voice. And what's fun is they might only have five words on a page and an illustration to go with it, but it can convey so much information that is um, entertaining. And that's what we want to see is it's never too early to start encouraging that. Can we talk a little bit more about the robotics program? that mm-hmm. you guys have cuz when we were like doing a tour of the the station you guys have like a bunch of boxes with just like a bunch of little robots that people can use and like learn from it like how does that program work and like how do kids interact with it and how much fun do they have with that that's a great question Lynn i love to share the robots because they are um so interactive and it's not always easy for a classroom teacher to have a whole classroom set that the, each child can have their hands on their own robot during this lesson. And we go in at the instructional level. We want even preschoolers to know how to program a robot. What is a robot? We talk about, does a robot think on their own? Do you, how do you, they know what to do? And part of that's in the fun lessons, and we make them fun. The kids learn at a very young age. Each robot that we use, we use a different one in each grade level has a different way of being programmed um, from little directional skills in preschool to a scanner on another uh, robot in first grade where they have blocks with a a scanner, the Kibo robots, and then another robot having a sensor. And then by the fourth grade level, we're actually building a robot and they can see components that go into that robot. Our lessons are very basic and they're very instructional. It's really, they're fun. We teach a robot how to do the hokey pokey. I mean, that is really a a fun thing to do. But um, so when I say instructional, it doesn't mean boring. It means this is how you learn about a robot. Then as they move on through the schools, they'll be exposed to other robotics programs that are more club teams or competition teams. And so we think we do a good background, teaching the kids what they're comprised of before they go on into those competition and club teams, which they'll meet at the upper elementary, middle school, high school levels. And I feel like that's really setting them up for success, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're getting like the basics at like a very young age. And as soon as like they get into like the really difficult stuff, they're like, oh, I already know this. Exactly. Right. This isn't scary. Mm-hmm. And it's also not scary for the teachers. They, you know, have so much elementary teachers teach a little bit of everything and they're, they're really expected to be experts. And all of a sudden robotics gets thrown in. And I'm sure that has a few teachers with butterflies in their stomach going, how am I going to do this? Well, that's where we want to come in and help them and share with them what we know. We learned too. We had to figure that out. And we come in and it's fun and it's a great way to take away that fear of the unknown, and it becomes very commonplace. Where is the programming at like right now, and where are you hoping to be in the future? So our educational outreach 
Uh, right now, we're in seven counties in northern Nevada. We're in Elko County, Humboldt County, Washoe, Lyon County. I'm kind of thinking of the map as I say these, um, Carson City and Douglas County. And then we're in White Pine County. Did I mention that one out in Ely? That one we're in virtually right now until we get a facilitator in person that lives in that area. But we'll have storage units in each of those areas where we store materials and facilitators from those areas that know the kids, know the schools, know the teachers, and it just helps with the delivery of, a, of this great program. And so we're hoping to add on some new areas, Story County, Mineral County, We're not out in Churchill County yet. There's still many areas for us to go to expand through our viewing area. Our goal was just to pick up one county a year, but sometimes opportunity presents itself and we um, are able to pick up the pieces and and make sure that we can get into more than one county at a time. It takes a little bit of work, um, but we are able to do that. We really rely a lot on volunteer help. For our student materials, Um, last school year we had 1,448 hours of volunteer help, and we also rely on our facilitators, which I think I told you before were 43 strong going across. About half of those are here in Washoe because it's such a large school district, and the rest are out in the rurals. It's a great way to work with people, though. It's, It's fun. Awesome. And yeah, you mentioned you are going into like the rural areas and I know rural areas tend to have a harder time with education. And I think I saw like a study before that their test scores can be like lower just because of like where they are and they're lacking resources. How do you think you guys are helping with that? Like, are you seeing like a big difference? It depends on what kind of research you're looking at. Some of our rural counties are the brightest in our state. They have really good teachers. But what is difficult in the rural counties is access to resources. We can all find things on the internet and be able to teach through electronics uh, much better now. But if your broadband isn't strong across the state, it puts you at a deficit. And so by us bringing in, still in the classroom, doing in-classroom presentations or virtual presentations, we're bringing resources to that classroom that they might not already have. They might not have the resources for each of the materials that we use. Um, Many of the things we order also, we don't buy in town, we have to order them and have them shipped in. But if we're able to distribute them and have them there say in White Pine County, we delivered all sorts of materials out there. Um, Before Christmas, we had quite a few materials that we delivered. They have them at their fingertips when they're ready for their classroom workshops. During COVID, there's obviously like a lot of logistical problems with trying to be in a classroom with your programs. And how did you kind of work through that? That's That was an interesting time for everybody, right? We all were learning um, just on, on a dime. We had to change our processes. During that period of time when nobody could go into a classroom and the schools were closed, we really did a lot of work. We went as a station on air. We provided children's programming on our main channel at key times in the afternoon And we correlated that with instructional activities and information on our website. So we were able to make that connection if families 
or teachers wanted to connect with our website and that on-air programming. That was one thing we did. As far as our classroom workshops, we changed completely. We used to call it a lesson in a tub. If you can picture a plastic tub with a lid, the facilitator would walk in with all the materials for that lesson in that tub. Um, We couldn't do that anymore. Uh, We were doing virtual workshops over Zoom or Google Meets or Microsoft Teams. So whatever platform the school was learning, we had to learn all three platforms and be able to deliver our workshops. We pre-recorded some of the pieces so that it would be easier for the classroom teacher to click on a link that showed the video clip and then click on the link that showed somebody reading out loud the storybook. And then our facilitator who was Zooming in or using Google Meets or Microsoft Teams to to virtually do a lesson would be there for the physical activity. But then we had to have the materials at the schools. So those materials could no longer be delivered in a tub. We had to individually package all of the student materials so that they weren't cross-contaminating each other or us bringing in something strange from the outside into the school. Because at that time, none of us knew what we were dealing with, with the pandemic. And so what we did is we streamlined our, our menu. We used to offer across the grade levels about almost 90 workshops. We pared that down to a really good core of 30 or around 30 workshops that we could easily individually package materials. So in these Ziploc bags, we would put the parent letter and whatever materials the student might need to manipulate during the workshop. We might have some teacher materials that we would put in a separate, um, like paint or glue, some things like that, that we would do deliver separately. And then our facilitator on the other end of the virtual connection would have their set that they could do along with the kids. We actually kept that model now that we're back in the classroom. The individual packaged materials has turned out to work out really well because then we know we can count out materials much easier. We have it all there. And as the kids pull it out of their plastic bag, it's right there on their desk. At the end of the workshop, they repack their Ziploc bag and the facilitator reminds them about what, we, you know, they talk about what did we learn today, what what were the skills we did, and you put it all back in your Ziploc bag, zip it up, it goes into your cubby, and then they take it home. So when mom and dad ask, what did you learn in school today, here they have show and tell, and they can recreate the lesson because they have all the materials right there in front of them and a parent letter to tell their parents who provided this workshop. It's been a really great tool because now when I talk to people, I'll be at, you know, a community, you know, organization meeting or or a group and they'll say, "Oh, we had one of your workshops. Our our son just participated in your workshop. I saw the the materials come home and it's so enriching and rewarding to hear that they they actually were told about our workshops. So we never used to get that feedback before. So where can people learn more? Where can they connect with you and like connect with your services? Um, PBSReno.org is our website. And if you go to the education drop-down menu, you can also find it PBSReno.org backslash education. 
that's where you'll find all of the programs that I've been talking about. And there's information, contact information on each of those pages. So um, hopefully somebody is going to email me and say, Nancy Maldonado, we loved hearing about this. Tell me more. I'd be happy to. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nancy. It was so great learning about all of your programs. And thanks for being on Renoites. Thank you, Lynn. It's my pleasure. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites. And special thanks to this week's guest, Nancy Maldonado. It was great learning about all the awesome programs that PBS Reno has to offer to students across Northern Nevada. Our future is in good hands. If you enjoyed this episode or any other, or you're a Renoites fan, or maybe this is your first episode, please do us a favor and spread the word. Word of mouth is everything to a project like this. We do social media, but it's hard to let everyone know this podcast exists. So if you share posts on Facebook, tell your friends or family, generally spread the word about the show, we would really appreciate it. It truly makes a difference between whether we get new listeners or not. And if you want to support the show financially, again, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash renoites. Thanks for all your support. This season of Renoites is produced by Connor McQuivy, Amber Braun, and myself. And that's all we have for you this week. See you next time. <laughs>